So, we'll move on to our Bible reading now, and it's uh, from uh, the Gospel according to Luke, and it is chapter... <clears throat> it's chapter 10, and reading from verse 25. Luke 10 and 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, that's Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. <clears throat> and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. If you uh, listen in regularly, you'll know that. Whoops. You will know that we uh, went a, th a few weeks ago. We, we we discussed this encounter as we went through Mark. Now then, we focused on um, how the ruler showed the impossibility of salvation without the intervention of God. Today, I'd, I'd like to talk uh, a bit about kindness, of course. You know, that's the message that jumps out of this, this story of the Good Samaritan. But I especially want to lift up the name of Jesus as the ultimate Good Samaritan, the one who saved you when you were in the gutter of sin. Well, the passage we read, <clears throat> the story's uh, one of the most well-known in Scripture. 
And it's not only uh, believers who like to hear about it, people, <clears throat> people generally also think it's a good story because it encourages us to be kind to our fellow man. Well, the, the Jesus Christ that the world loves, he's a teacher, he's a good man, he tells us to love others. He's a person who forgives everyone because he's such a nice person. The presentation of the Saviour in, in that way is, I think, one of the reasons there's no fear of God today. The real Christ, who we know, is different as he is the Holy God manifest in the flesh. So it's, it's true this passage obviously has a message for us about being kind to our fellow man. But it causes us to, to think about things much higher than that. It prompts us to, to think about uh, gospel issues. So today I want to briefly consider this encounter between the, the, um, this encounter between the lawyer and Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to look at uh, the, the story Jesus told to the young man and also then how it relates to salvation. So the lawyer in our story then, it's the same thing as a scribe. Now these people had exceptional knowledge of the Mosaic law and they taught in the synagogues. And this lawyer asked Jesus how he might obtain eternal life. His motive wasn't good though. He was testing Jesus, probably to see if he could uh, catch him out. So Jesus answers with a question of his own. What does the law say? And the answer he gave was pretty perfect. Remember it says, he answering said, he said, um, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul and strength and mind and thy neighbour as thyself. Now you might recognise this phrase because Jesus himself said these were the greatest commandments. He said all the teachings of the scriptures could be summed up by these two commands to love God and to love others and especially the church of God. So Christ told him plainly, go and do them. This is still his command for those who want to earn their own salvation. Here are God's standards. Meet them and you shall live. <laughs> that is, if you kept these two commandments perfectly all your life, you could live forever with God. Every one of us here has spent years, decades even, trying to keep those two rules. We've tried to love God and we've tried to love others. And sadly we've shown that we are unable to keep them for 24 hours. This is why our confidence isn't in our puny efforts or it's true, we have to try and achieve perfection in our obedience. We have to try and meet that 
very high standard. But although we do that, we, we still, we confess continually the merits of Jesus Christ as the basis for our adoption into God's family. That's it. <clears throat> now, the lawyer's response reveals something about him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, first, he, he, he skipped over. He skipped over the command to love God with all his, his, his being. Um, now, he was either ashamed he hadn't done that or he, he believed he was doing it by his religious life. Um, so in any case, he, he sort of changed the subject. He deflected the spotlight from his own obligations to Jesus' definition of neighbour. Did you, did you see that? So it's, it's very likely he knew Jesus' teachings were not orthodox from the Jews' point of view. So the answer from the Saviour this time is in the form of a parable. And so we'll run through it briefly now. So in the story, the, the man's travelling to Jericho from Jerusalem. There's not a great distance between those two places. If you if you're a local person, lo local to me, um, it's the distance from, roughly, from Liverpool to Southport. But the listeners would understand it was far from an easy journey because of muggers, robbers. And that's what befell this man. He was attacked, battered and robbed of his clothes. Fortunately for him, a devoutless religious man uh, came by and spotted him. He was not just a Jew, but a priest. If anyone would be an example of charity, it must be him. But he looked the other way, as if he hadn't seen anything, and he walked off. Then came the Levite, another God-fearing man. Surely now he would be helped. But no, he also walked on the other side. These were men who devoted their lives to serving in the temple. In fact, the road they were on in the story, it was commonly used by priests and Levites as they travelled to and from Jerusalem because they, they, would, they would live in Jericho and they would commute in when they were on duty. So these, these two examples of men they were either on their way to or had come from serving God in the temple. They were glad to conduct rituals and make sacrifices, but they didn't understand God's will in this respect through Hosea the prophet. God said, I want mercy, not sacrifice. So then this uh, Samaritan uh, comes into uh, the story in verse 33. The Samaritan. Now, now, who are the Samaritans? Well, they were despised by the Jews generations before. Those lands of the um, the northern house of Israel had been invaded. So, um, the people were taken into Assyria and in their place were planted these foreigners. So, they were replaced so, of all the people the Jews didn't like, which was 
which was nearly everyone. Uh, the Samaritans were perhaps the worst because they were infidels, but living on stolen land. Yet, it was this hated foreigner who helped the poor one lying bleeding in the dirt. He had compassion on him. He bandaged up the stab wounds and poured in this mixture of oil and wine, which was common in those days. The wine would clean the wound and the oil would take the edge off the pain. He then put the man on his own beast of burden, uh, presumably a donkey, so that, so that he had to walk himself. So the victim was taken along to an inn. The owner was asked to care for him and he was given some money to look after this poor fellow. So Jesus asks this young man, out of the three of them, which one was the best neighbour? Well, the scribe, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He just said, the one that showed mercy. <laughs> it must have killed him to even say this. Christ ends the discussion with this command. Well, go and do the same as him then. There are three simple challenges to this man's attitude, and here they are. Well, he was told how a Samaritan showed mercy where two Israelites didn't. He was shown that the Samaritan showed mercy to one who hated him. So it was an even bigger act of kindness. And he was instructed to be like the Samaritan. <laughs> one who he despised. This story was really undoubtedly devastating to, to the Jews who, who heard of it. Because the enemy, their enemy had been cast as their hero. Is there anything we can learn from this? Well, these lessons, these uh, outward challenges to behaviour can even be discerned by the natural man. The world can understand this, that you love your neighbour. And by your neighbour, Jesus means everyone. Think for a minute. Do you love your neighbour? Your family are your neighbours? Do you love them? Even your in-laws? Your Christian brethren are your neighbours? Do you love them? Even those believers who act, you know, just like the world does. Your colleagues at work or your, your fellow students at college, they're your neighbours. Do you love them? Even the ones who despise your faith? Your fellow residents, you know, where you live, they're your neighbours. Do you love them? Even the ones who let the street down by their behaviour. And really, your fellow men are your neighbours. Do you love all of them? Even the thieves, the degenerates, the, the drug dealers. You might want them all locked up. Good, but can you still love them? Well, uh, I was challenged by that because when I got involved in prison ministry, 
I was coming across these people who'd done all sorts of horrible things. So beforehand, I I had a, I suppose a, a dislike for people. They they made me angry. I wanted them locked up or hanged or something, because the world would be better off without without these people. And then you you're forced to go in and be kind to people who've done the most atrocious things, made people's lives a misery. And I'm not saying that I have um, conquered my prejudices, but the Lord has certainly helped me to to overcome them to quite a large degree. So there's a few, just a few lessons anyway from the Savior in decency. Even if the world ignored God, if they would only treat each other with this sort of kindness, even their enemies, the world would be a better place, undoubtedly. But there's something else here of more substance. A Christian who's truly in love with Christ and loves the gospel will see throughout the scriptures prompts which remind him of both these things, Christ and the gospel. I, I had this, I've had this discussion many times about whether God intends us to see more of Christ when we read the scriptures or he thinks we go too far in seeing things which aren't there. I get that. I get both positions. Well, I've tentatively concluded that we shouldn't be surprised if almost everything reminds us of something of Christ. I mean, our minds are supposed to be filled with him. When we see things out in the, the natural world, it will often make us think of God. So I don't think we need to worry too much about whether this interpretation is valid or not. Uh, I, I, I am, though, I'm just a little less bold about saying this is obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. So if you'll allow me, I'll share some of the elements of the story which reminded me of the Redeemer's work in delivering us from sin and its terrible penalty. Here's the first point. Sinful man went down from Jerusalem. This city, this city of Jericho. Um, well, no, first, the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is associated with the worship of God. And Jericho is a cursed city. The man's going from, if you like, the holy city to the cursed city. And so we can see this as a figure of going down from the good to the bad. Uh, we're reminded of how uh, all men have departed from that which is good and find themselves drawn towards vanity fair, the, the, the evil things of this world. And the, the well-known Psalm uh, 53 uh, in verse 6 says uh, this, of course, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Well, the next point is that uh, fallen man was given over to sin and the devil. Now, our victim in the story 
was on a road which wasn't safe, but he took the risk and he fell foul of the gangs. This is what happened to our father Adam, and this is what we all do as soon as we're born into this world. We follow courses of action which make it likely we'll fall prey to sin and Satan. And those robbers, those two robbers, sin and Satan, well, they take away our focus from the word of God and anything which might lead to a relationship with God. Even after a converting work in us, we still find ourselves robbed of joy and peace. And it's often our own fault. But whatever the cause, be it laziness in us or a test from the Lord, the solution is to make real effort undergirded by constant prayer. Uh, real effort to obey. And here's how... It's described in Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we carry out our lives as believers with an eye to the guidance of the Bible uh, because it's in here we find how to walk in the spirit. Well, thirdly, sinful man lost his natural righteousness. This man's clothing was lost, it says. <clears throat> it reminds us of that righteousness which enabled Adam to walk in the presence of Christ. <clears throat> when Adam sinned, it said that he and his wife knew they were naked. Although it was nakedness in the normal sense, being naked before God is having your sin exposed. In Revelation chapter 16, uh, verse 15, uh, Christ said this, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Here's our next point. The sinner is terribly wounded. <clears throat> the story's victim was uh, like Jonah. We were talking about. Uh, the, we've been talking about these past few weeks. The victim here was as good as dead. Now, although we can say all men in this world are by nature dead in sin. There is another type of death experienced by someone before conversion, which we find in the Bible. As strange as it, as it sounds, a man can be better off if he's never heard of the standards of God's holy law. Because when, when he hears this truth of, of God's, the scale of his falling short becomes apparent. And it's like a dagger to the heart. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7 and 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, Just like 
Adam knew nothing about indwelling sin until a commandment came from God. In the same way, it was when Paul knew the demands of the law that the knowledge of his sinfulness, he felt like it killed him. Here's our next point. The rebel cannot be saved by the law. These two Jews in the story who pass by uh, are the representatives of the Mosaic law uh, and the law of God is uh, completely without mercy. Uh, Consider these points. Well, the law demands perfect obedience and it will not allow for just sincere effort on man's part. The law makes no allowance for man's fallen condition. The law is no less fierce to sinners in this age of the gospel as it was. The law is deaf to cries of repentance. And the law cannot give a robe of righteousness to the man or woman who is naked before the Lord. It says here in Galatians 2 and verse 21... I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That is, if you and I could get right with God through doing just what, doing what God says, then Calvary was a complete waste of time. Uh, Some of you will be familiar with Dante and he did this famous work called Inferno. And in this vision he gets a a glimpse of a a gateway to the lake of fire. A gateway to eternal hell. And above the doorway was this inscription. Abandon all hope all ye who enter here. Well, if there was such a thing as a gate to heavenly glory, I imagine a sign above it might say, Abandon all hope of saving yourself, all ye who enter here. It has always been the case that entrance to the kingdom of God is by faith in the Christ Here's our next point. Jesus Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus Christ is the ultimate good Samaritan. He is the one who can show mercy where the Lord of God knows not how to. He had compassion where in the law there was none. It says here John 1.17 For the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. A lot of you have read John Bunyan's book Pilgrim's Progress and there the man tries to get rid of the sack on his back and this sack represents his sin. He's sidetracked and he's encouraged to go to the town of morality where someone would help him with his burden 
it's like he it's like in this world if we're pointed towards well you know just clean your act up start behaving yourself be, be, become become respectable maybe a church goer too then you know you can deal with all this this sin so so this this man in Bunyan's story he's like the man or woman who tries to please God by going to church and being a real you know upstanding member of the community but where he actually ends up is Sinai where he encounters the terror of the merciless law of God Moses the ambassador of the law in the story that is not in the scriptures in the, in the, in the pilgrim's progress Moses the ambassador of the law he stands over the Christian beating him severely and when pilgrim asks for mercy Moses in a grave voice says I know not how to show mercy don't be distracted friend if you have a burden of unforgiven sin on your back don't make the mistake pilgrim made don't try morality when only Christ the saviour can help Here's our next point. It's that Christ heals our wounds. As we, as in the story, in, in, in our reading. So, our blessed physician Jesus says through the prophet Isaiah, this is in Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So, mirroring the rescue in our story, Jesus is the physician above all others. If you belong to God, consider how lovingly he poured out his own blood and as it were applied it to the wounded soul and by this healed the fatal wounds of your sin does your heart not overflow with love for the one who so loves you also Christ exalts the ransomed soul well this poor man he's being humbled in the story and now he's, he's lifted up and he's set on a donkey so similarly similarly when God's dealing with a, a sinner in grace he exalts him it says here in Luke uh, 14 11 for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted So the one who tries to elevate himself will be put down in the dirt. Whereas the one who puts himself in the dirt, so to speak, God will lift him up. Jesus Christ, of course, is said to ride uh, triumphantly. And we are are with him uh, as he rides. He goes forth conquering and to conquer, it says in Revelation we are exalted to such a degree we're said to be 
joint heirs with Christ. After, after all this time of being a Christian, I still can't get my head around this. God didn't think it enough just to save us. He made us his heirs. Here's our next point. Christ places us in the care of ministers of the gospel. So, we aren't placed in the care of an innkeeper, but these ministers that God raises up. He's entrusted them to serve the people at his table with gospel food. Peter, in his letter, um, uh, advises the pastors in this way. 1 Peter 5 and 2 says, he says to them, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for cash, not for money, but of a ready mind. This message I'm delivering you today, it may be very simple, it may not be expressed as well as it could. But insofar as I take this word of God and express it to you faithfully, I serve you with manna from heaven. All the wealth in the world couldn't pull me away from this servant role. The man of God called to this immense responsibility. He nurtures the people with wonderful gospel promises. He teaches them to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ too. Uh, not just historical facts, but knowledge that the people might really experience Christ. That's, that's the job. <clears throat> Here's our penultimate point. Christ furnishes his gospel preachers with all they need. Well, you saw in the story how the innkeeper was given what he needed to look after the man who had his wounds looked after and being placed in his care. The preacher of righteousness, assuming he hasn't called himself to the ministry, he's given gifts to carry out the work. The Lord doesn't raise men up and not grant him the things he needs. This sort of man, he's given a desire to spend time in the word and in prayer. He's given an ability to speak and to teach others. He's given a special love for the redeemed souls in his charge. And he's given a burden to take the gospel to the masses too, knowing the Lord has his elect out there. And it's his job to point them to Jesus and to take converted souls and to disciple them. And the final point is this. Christ rewards his uh, under-shepherds with eternal riches. The Good Samaritan in the story considered that uh, the innkeeper might have to spend more on the care of the, the saved man, so he promises to make it up to him on his return. And so it is with our Saviour, because those who he puts into the, the ministry of the gospel, they frequently they suffer above what they expect. They find often they, 
They have to make uh, sacrifices, maybe not getting the recreation time they need, not getting enough sleep. Sometimes find themselves having spent all their energy, having to go on and finish the course. But their master promises them an eternal inheritance. And here's the thing. You get exactly the same. You get exactly the same reward. Well, that's what I believe. I know most believers think that if they dedicate themselves to the work of God, it seems evident their reward will be different than the one who has a faint profession and, and does has done little for God. I'd suggest they think about the story of the 11th hour worker that Jesus described. I may be wrong on this, but it's my view that, that, that these people, they shouldn't even dare to expect more. They have everlasting life. You know, what do they expect extra on top of that? For my part, I wouldn't want more than others. I mean, I do spend more time in the Word than most, but that's only because you folks, the fo or should I say the folks at New Road, support me and enable me to do it and I remember the very the burden I have the very ability to do anything at all the fact that my life's preserved to do these things is all of God it's all by his grace this eternal inheritance is yours brethren if you have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour you are rich beyond your wildest dreams after all, the wealth of this world will disappear. Those who've spent their lives trying to get more money will find as they're about to leave this world what it feels like to leave every penny behind. Those who've focused on getting houses and cars that had outdo their friends, impressed their friends, will find they'd swap all of those things all their money and possessions for just one more day of life. But friends, your inheritance is a gift which goes on and on into eternity and you'll never be required to give it up. Christ, the good Samaritan, the one who the world hates becomes the saviour of the world. He has compassion on his elect children, even though they too were children of wrath, even as others in their natural state. They too hated God and Christ. Yet they were joyful and glad that this Jesus became their good Samaritan and forever forgave their sin. The church at Rome was told, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
So when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So believer, just rejoice at that. Rejoice at this, this great love for you. Wonder at how great it truly is. Well, may the Lord bless you uh, and keep you in the week ahead for Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat>